question is, is there a literal lake of fire to which those who reject Christ, his death on the cross, are going to go to? Martin Marty said, hell disappeared and no one noticed. I think that is very accurate. It seems like for our society, the last time you heard a message from me about hell, specifically, it's probably eight to ten years ago that I do a series. That's how long it's been, specific series. And it is not a popular topic in that today's world. We just simply, if we think about, if we don't think about it, perhaps it will disappear. I, I was reading this week a statistic that 32%, 32% of uh, Barnabas Associates showed that only 32% of adults see hell as an actual place of torment and suffering where people's souls go to after death, fire, brimstone, or hell, can call it what you want, but no one wants to preach or talk about this taboo topic any longer. No wonder those surveyed by Barna don't want to believe that hell exists. Preacher and author Mark Driscoll, his unusual character, explained, if you already have a church who doesn't preach on hell and people who really don't believe in it, then it makes no sense to go to those areas of the Bible. And so there we go. And so he was pastor one time of the Mars Hill Church in uh, Grand Rapids, I think it was, Michigan. So either there is a hell to shun, or Jesus was an untruthful person. So that's not an option. So there is truly a literal hell. It says in our text in Revelation 20, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. The, the word death there, possibly the grave. So the grave and hell, Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Interestingly enough, that word works. We as Christians are judged for and reward for what we have done for Christ, rewards or loss of rewards. The works here are again, namely, have you trusted Christ as Savior? There's no works that can save you. The death and hell then were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. May the Lord have blessing to the reading of his word. The book of life, I believe at this point in time in my study, would be that every single person is written in the book of life upon conception. And then when they choose or neglect God, then their names are erased from that book of life. When you receive Christ as Savior, I believe your name goes into the Lamb's book of life. But the question is here, when they look at the book, your name is not there. And so I believe all who stand here at this judgment will be, none of them will be truly born again. They will all be cast into the lake of fire. A sad place, but we want to talk about that this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is, I will admit, dear Lord, a difficult topic. And not one people typically want to hear about, but it just is as true as of heaven. Matter of fact, Lord, the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus spoke twice as much about hell than he did about heaven. So may I be clear today, may your word be preeminent. May we look to your word and see what the Bible says, not what we are hoped for or think that, or what mankind thinks it should be. So guide and direct my thoughts. Please forgive me of sin. Give them to me myself, and please fill me with your spirit this day. We have those teaching downstairs. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three A's this morning. There are attitudes, there are alternatives, and there are actions. Attitudes, first of all, reasons to disbelieve. And hell, reasons to disbelieve in hell. Again, it was Martin Marty who works at the University of Chicago, the Divinity School, that said 
uh, regarding the doctrine of hell, hell disappeared and no one noticed. Go up to most churches today and how often do you hear a message on this very, very difficult topic? Not very often. Not very often. Charles Pickstone said, hell is deeply unfashionable. The 87-year-old Woody Allen said, hell is Manhattan at rush hour. Hell is like a dirty little secret, someone says, that rears its, its nasty head at inappropriate times. Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes series, said, Hell is an odious conception, blasphemous in its view of the Creator. Another said, It's an outrageous doctrine of theological and moral enormity. Gordon Kaufman of the Harvard Divinity School believes that we have gone through a transformation of ideas and says, I don't think there can be any future for heaven and hell. Admittedly, he says, hell is an unpleasant pleasant topic. Unbelievers disbelieve in it. Most Christians ignore it. He says, even Bible-believing preachers sometimes shy away from the topic of hell more than most other Bible doctrines, it seems. In this politically correct society, he says, it, we, it is out of step with our times. And I was reading another statistic, a sad statistic regarding uh, Americans. I was reading, it says here that, according to those that surveyed, most Americans do not expect to experience <clears throat> hell firsthand. Can you imagine the percentage of people who are surveyed who expect to end up in hell? One half of 1%. One half of 1% expect to be there. Now, there are some who say that they believe in something. Now, 87% believe in afterlife, I think I read. But only one half of 1% believe they're actually going to live in a place apart from God. The Bible's very clear, though. The death and grave and hell were, Hades were cast into the lake of fire, 2014, Gehenna, which is the second death. Now, there's this one, this is about one of several descriptions of a place called hell or lake of fire. Now, just a reminder, hell, the word in Greek, Hades, is the place, I believe, in the center of our earth. There's the holding place, if you would, the jail, for those who don't know Christ as Savior, who have died, awaiting the moment here in Revelation the lake of fire is, I believe, is going to be a star, a burning star somewhere out in the universe somewhere. That's where death and hell and all unbelievers are going to be cast into. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. That's why God created it. However, the human beings who fail to receive Christ as Savior, there's going to be punished for that. You say, but pastor, that seems like an awful, it's like giving, a, it's like a 10-year sentence for a traffic violation, your very first one for a parking ticket, you're going to go to jail for 10 years. Seems like a little bit much. We don't realize the holiness of God. That's what we don't realize. God is holy. No sin can abide in his presence. And if your sin is not forgiven, which you can't do yourself, you cannot live in God's presence. And so you must have your sins forgiven to live in God's presence. And on the new earth, there is no sin. Hell, but in the center of this earth, will be moved, cast into the lake of fire, we'll have a new heaven, a new earth, where only righteousness dwells. We're looking forward to that. John Robinson, the Anglican bishop in 1963, who had a notoriously liberal views, in his book, Honest to God, he said, quoting, Christ remains on the cross as long as one sinner remains in hell. In our universe of love, there can be no heaven that tolerates a chamber of horrors, no hell for any which does not at the same time make a hell for God. He cannot endure that, for that would be a final mockery of his nature. Unitarian John James Mill said this, 
In the legend of hell, he says, I will call no being good who is not what I mean by good when I use that word of my fellow creatures. And if there is a being who can send me to hell for not calling on him, to hell I will go. We might add, and so you shall go if you don't repent. You find then that men and women will be in hell, not because God is unjust, but because he is just. And can allow none into heaven that have not been washed in the blood of the sinless lamb. Your sin must be forgiven. Does that make, does make sense to you? I trust it does. God is perfect, cannot abide sin. And the only way you can live with God is to have your sin forgiven. And the one way Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He means then that you must go to God's heaven by way of Jesus he came and he offers you life everlasting. You say, but pastor, if I trust Christ as Savior, my life will change. Yes, and I'll have to give up all those things that I enjoy now. He'll change your wonder. He will give you peace. The things that you used to love to do as an unbeliever will be passe. And you'll start liking to read your Bible. You'll start liking to pray. You'll start liking to be with people. Well, not people like me necessarily, but other Christians who are well-behaved and all those things and don't talk so fast. You might be able to, you'll enjoy those things. Amen. I tell you, he will, he will take away those desires. If you trust Christ, it doesn't make your life perfect by any means, but it does mean that you can have the assurance that you're his child and you're going to spend eternity with him rather than apart from him. If, if I don't receive Christ as my Savior, I'll never see my parents again. I'll never see my mother and father. And by the way, I had a wonderful mother and father-in-law, so I'm not trying to... I, I'll never see them again if I don't know Christ because they're already there. Do you see how important it is if you want to see those who've gone on before who know Christ as Savior, but pastor, there's going to be so many in hell. We'll have a big party down there. I think you're going to be by yourself in darkness, suffering alone for eternity. Part of what's so hard, why do they have solitary confinement in prisons? It's such a terrible thing to be by yourself for endless time. Men and women are going to be there because they have rejected Christ's attitudes, reasons to disbelieve in hell. One man he went so far to say, but he did not want to go to heaven with a God who sends people to hell. He, his preference was to be in hell so that he could live in defiance of such a God. If such a God exists, he says, complains, he is the devil. Simply put, too many, maybe even of some of us, the punishment of hell, again, this seems quite large for the crime how can anyone do such a great evil? But we have forgotten the holiness and, and righteousness of God and he cannot bear with sin, period, period. Many are trying to remove hell from their minds. Millions of Westerners today believe that some kind of, their, some kind of afterlife, but is a life of bliss, not misery. Genuine fear of suffering in hell has all but vanished for the mainstream Western thought. Few of any give prolonged talk to the process of some people will be in hell. Fewer yet believe they themselves are going to be among that unfortunate number. I remember seeing a sign uh, about three years ago during the crisis of, of the COVID crisis just got started. And they were, had a sign and a guy said, come back again, Jesus, and we'll crucify you again. And I was thinking that man does have an inkling understanding of what he says. Jesus became poor. Wonderful lesson this morning. Poor spiritually so that we might have riches in Christ. 
That's why he came. I have an excerpt from Jonathan Edwards' sermon, but I won't read that. I'll continue on. The attitudes, reasons to disbelieve in hell. I tell you, they're all man-centered. I just don't feel like God. I feel God's God of love and the God of the Old Testament. Now He might be a He might be a, a forceful, wrathful God, but Jesus in the New Testament, why He's a God of love. I want you to know that Jehovah of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New are one and the same. Amen. Jesus is God all the way through. He's He's uncreated. He always has been. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit work together in seamless harmony. The Trinity. Not only are there attitudes, reasons to disbelieve in hell, is alternatives. Secondly, alternative teachings. Well, if we won't believe, and I'm going to say that word. At first, I would say cannot. I would say this. If we won't trust the Bible to speak the truth about hell, we must then come up with some alternative. And there are two main alternatives. One takes hell out of forever. And the other takes forever out of hell. So now two big words, and I think I'll try to explain them to you. First of all is universalism, the forever out of hell. Universalism. Summing that up, it is the belief that every single person will one day end up in heaven. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Some would say perhaps some churches would teach you you're going to spend a time in purgatory to get your sins burned off. But eventually you will be there. That's universalism. You want to take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. They would say, well, pastor, I want you to show you a couple of verses here. I believe, pastor, that every single individual one day end up in heaven, even Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, whoever you want to, whoever you want to put in there, uh, Mao Zedong, Xing Jinping, uh, and Kim Jong-un, all of those he's, uh, in this belief system will say, well, they're eventually going to be in heaven. Look what it says, pastor, in Ephesians 1.10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Colossians 1.20, a few pages over, Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20. Another verse for you, Pastor, look at this one. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. The implication I perhaps this person would say to me is, listen pastor, I just read it for you. All things are eventually going to be in heaven with Christ. That everyone will eventually be brought to the family of God. However, they fail to take into account a lot of other clear teachings that would be against that. By the way, think for just a moment. Where if a person adamantly hates God, you think they're going to be happier in a hell where God's not going to be there or going to be forced to go and live in the heaven at their own, against their will. They're going to be a lot happier in this regard, a lot happier away from God. They hate God. You think God's going to, simply because they hate him, going to bring him up to heaven when they still hate God without asking for forgiveness of their sin? As attractive as this we may, and it might write in print, and you may put it in a big newspaper, and people, oh, I, I like the idea that we're all going to be in heaven someday. It just isn't, it's just not right biblically. Matter of fact, most serious Bible students have long time ago given up on this idea of universalism. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. Hebrews 2, verse 16. If you're going to say that everything goes to heaven eventually, all things, you must include even Satan and his fallen angels. If everything goes, but look what the Bible says. 
In Hebrews 2.16, For verily he, Christ, took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Satan and his demons were not included in God's redemptive plan. He didn't die for Satan. And I've increased my list of other people who did not die for the Romulans, the Remans, the Vulcans, the Borg, the Klingons, the Orions, the Andorians, the Ewoks, and the Huts. He did not die for any of those groups of people. He died for you. He died for me. He didn't even die. So redemption is not offered to the a fallen angel. A demonic spirit cannot, oh, I want to receive Christ as Savior. It's too late. There's the holy angels who serve God. There are the unholy, about a third, it says in Revelation 12, who followed Satan. There is no redemption for them. Matter of fact, if you're looking in Hebrews, look at 9.12. Jesus died once for all. Look what it says, 9.12, Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, neither in 9.12, neither by the blood of goats and calves or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. 9.26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But now once in the end. 9.28. So Christ was once offered, once offered to bear the sins of many. 10, 10, please, say book, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. One time he offered. He's not going from planet to planet to planet out there in the Milky Way somewhere and offering himself. We are, I believe, the singular, only, salient, an intelligent life form, I use that broad term, intelligent life forms, period, in the universe. That's my personal opinion based on what the Bible says. He died once. He did it but once. And can you imagine doing that over and over and over across thousands of planets? The Bible gives that. We have nothing like that in Scripture. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jerusalem's the center, and this is the center of God's plan. I'm not trying, I like science fiction things. It's just that. It's science fiction. Fiction. Could I explain to your satisfaction all the UFO stories? No, I cannot. Probably. I can tell you, though, that Satan's powerful and his workers can do a lot of amazing things. The Bible says the devil, but turn with me back over to Revelation 20, verse 10. 20, verse 10. Look what happens to the beast and the false. The beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is his henchman during the tribulation time. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. We said, and the devil, which deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire, that will be Satan and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. A plain statement. Satan shall not be redeemed. Either the Bible is true or mankind is true. One of the, well, we all know the Bible is true. Mankind in all its wisdom lacks a lot of common sense. Simply read the God's word for what it says. I'm telling you, God's word's on the right side of history. It's his story. Isn't that history? It's his story. You want to know about the creation of the world and all? It's, it's right here for us. This is the one. Where else can you find a provable, uh, trustworthy, not provable in your sense, but trustworthy 
account of the beginning of the world. There's but one place. There's but one. All things. So Satan will be not redeemed. He will continue to exist in torment forever. Yes, everything will be summed up in Christ. That means that all things will be brought under Christ's direct authority. For he is the first and the foremost. He has completed everything necessary to fulfill God's plan of salvation. The order of nature will shall be restored and justice will prevail throughout the entire universe. Restoration does not negate hell. It actually necessitates it. The sin will be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. Death will be death, our greatest enemy. What do you fear more than anything else? Oh, I fear dying, most likely people would say. That will be the greatest enemy will be cast into the lake of fire. And when we hit the new earth in Revelation 21, 22, no more death, sorrow. Cry, won't that be great? Was it Fanny Crosby said, Oh, that will be glory for me. Look, look on his face and have the wonder of heaven. But pastor, what about the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 22? For as Adam and Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If you're going to be made alive, you're going to be made alive in Christ. Yes, but pastor, I don't think I, I I'm, I'm a, basically I'm a good person. Well, good for you. I'm glad you are. You're still a sinner in need of salvation. But pastor, who sinned? We've all have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, what you're going to get paid for your sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, universalists would say, well, that just as, as that Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. Again, but this interpretation fails for two reasons. They interpret it in light, when we interpret in light of others, we see the eternal misery of Satan. And those who are in hell. And secondly, the Bible frequently uses the word all in a restricted sense. For example, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, or 3 verse 5, Matthew 3, 5, the word all is sometimes used in a restricted sense. Rather than without exception, sometimes it is restricted. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, please. Matthew 5, 3. Um, how about 3 verse 5? Matthew 3 verse 5, that would be better. Matthew 3 verse 5. They went out, Matthew 3, 5. They went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, obviously, all Judah did not go out to him. Some stayed and do their business. Some stayed at home. It's a restricted sense. In Luke 2, 1, And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The world in the Roman Empire, not the entire world. He did not rule people over here in North America. He ruled the people of the Roman Empire the, under Roman jurisdiction, perhaps. Now, he wanted to think he ruled in the world, Caesar Augustus, but he did not. In John 3, 26, And they came to John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, he baptizes, and all men come to him. Did all come to Christ? No, they didn't. A restricted sense. Another all restricted sense. So in Christ shall all be made alive. A restricted sense. I'm telling you, if you want to, those who know Christ as Savior are made alive. Those who refuse Christ are dead in trespasses and sins. The, really, the, nail, uh, the nail in the coffin, if you would, of this view is Matthew 12, please. Matthew 12, 32. Matthew 12, 32. 
final blow to universalism that everybody will one day be in heaven. That every single person, human being, is going, every single being, period, is going to be in heaven. Look what it says in Matthew 30, 12, 32. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Mark even says this is eternal damnation. A damnation that never ends. So universalism, never been, widely, never been widely accepted by those who believe the Scriptures and take them seriously. The second alternative is conditional immortality. Conditional immortality. Well, there's a condition. For me to live forever, there must meet a condition. If I don't meet that condition, then it's going to be annihilationism. So universalism is number one. Annihilationism is number two. Now, what is annihilationism? You might hear a basketball score. I heard a bas recent basketball score about two weeks ago about how one team beat this other team, probably the worst loss they've had in, in decades in their home gym. Oh, they annihilated them. We might use that word. Or if I'm fishing with Mr. Skaggs back there, and he's a good fisherman, and he catches 50 pounds of bass, and I catch only one and a half pounds, both Mr. Skaggs, or both Mr. Skaggs back there, and I catch a pound and a half, they annihilated me in the tournament. They might say that. It'd be rightly so. I'm sure it probably would happen that way. That's not, annihilation simply means cease to exist. It's quite convenient. For a person to say, well, I'm going to live, I'm going to live high, wide, and handsome, as Dr. Rogers used to say. I'm going to live like a hellcat, if you will, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm, and then what happens when I die? I cease to exist. That's not found in the Bible. Convenient for the unbeliever, but not found in the Bible. <coughs> Dr. Clark Pinnock from McMaster's University in Canada Ask how one could imagine for a moment that the God who gave His Son to die on the cross would, and quoting now, install a torture chamber somewhere in the new creation in order to subject those who reject Him in everlasting pain. He observes that it's difficult enough to defend Christianity in light of the problem of evil and suffering without having to explain hell as well. He believes the fire that God consumes the lost. Mr. Pinnock believes that God does not raise the dead to torture them, but rather to declare judgment on them and condemn them to extinction, which he calls, he calls that the second death. Everlasting punishment, according to the author, seems that God sentences the lost to final definitive death. But the Bible says otherwise. By the way, not a little bit philosophically speaking, but if you are a lost person, did you ever have eternal life? If God's going to simply end your life when you die, did He give? Were you a second-rate human being, and you never, God never gave you life that would last for forever because He knew you were going to simply die and cease to exist? And that's a little bit deeper thought for you. You see, I mean, it becomes problematic when you start straying from the clear teaching of God's word. You're going to run in problems. It's like making biscuits. When I start putting uh, all these different things in the biscuit recipe, when they come out, it turns awful. I just had my biscuits, my Mountain Dew biscuits, ready to go in the oven on Friday about four thirty. Electric went off. Now you can have a gas stove that runs the burners without electricity. But you cannot have the oven working with electricity. And so I had them ready to, I was just ready to put, actually I said, put them in the oven and electricity went off. So what did I do? After whining a while, I took them out of the oven, covered them up, and put them in the refrigerator. And when it came back on, I made them, and man, they were still yummy. Still yummy. 
because there was the right ingredients in there that made it turn out. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the recipe if you want. It's very quickly. It's quite yummy. I, I've added uh, sugar and cinnamon on top of them. Mmm, boy, it makes it it's a treat. We, you, you can't start saying things other than what the Bible says and expect it to work out okay. Now, the favorite verse of annihilationism, I'm watching the clock, says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Pastor, right there it is. Destroy the body and soul in hell. But that word never means annihilated. The Greek word never means annihilated. The word destroyed. There's not a single instance in the New Testament anywhere, says Robert Murray, that it means annihilation in the strict sense of the word. One Greek-English lexicon defines it as to be delivered up to eternal misery. Annihilation does not wash. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 25, 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. Oh, pastor, you see there's everlasting and life eternal. The same exact Greek word. I just rendered it everlasting life or life eternal. So if you want to believe that the people go to heaven and live an everlasting life with God, oh, I'm excited. And my trust you're excited about that. That's like so exciting. You've also got to say, in the same breath, those who reject Christ are an everlasting punishment. You can't have it both ways. Either there's everlasting life with Christ in heaven, well, then there's also everlasting punishment without Christ apart from Him forever. Daniel even said in Daniel 12 too, the, but God said through Daniel, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. If heaven is forever, and it is, then punishment is, is forever as well. Clearly the wicked will experience the shame and contempt for as long as the righteous will experience bliss. Look at Revelation 14, verse 10, please. Revelation 14, 10. Do it there, please. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. We're nearly done. Revelation 14, verse 10. I know, you know, like for pastors to say that means another half hour coming up. I watched the clock. The same, 14, 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoso receiveth the mark of his name. Amazing. Those who reject Christ during the tribulation time, specifically mentioned here, as having punishment forever. And I was just reading from a man, John Stott, who I thought I'd never heard this before, but he said this regarding the consuming forever and being tormented forever. He said, no, hence it is this, the smoke. What you're going to see forever is the smoke, not the people being tormented, but the smoke that they were tormented. And I can't see smoke lasting forever and ever and ever. Do you see how man tries to get around what the Bible says clearly? If if I did not love you and care for you, I'd never preach this message. I never would. Because it is a difficult message. But we need to be reminded what the Bible says. The fire is, does not annihilate the wicked, but torments them. In the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, I'm not sure how all that works. But they're going to be able to see those involved in hell or those who are there in some regard, it seems. No period of rest. Conscious torment. Not unconscious, conscious torment. Matter of fact, it says in Revelation chapter 10, uh, 20, verse 10, turn over with me, please. Revelation 20, verse 10, regarding the beast and the false prophet, 
Look what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. We read it earlier on. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. They've not been. Now, who are the beast and the false prophet? They are men who've been controlled by, perhaps even indwelt by the beast after the last three and a half years by the Satan, human beings. But they've not been annihilated. They are still suffering after a thousand years. Attitudes. Ways to get around hell. Man-centered. Alternatives. Universalism. Everybody's going to be saved. Don't worry about it. Annihilationism. God's going to simply annihilate those who reject Him. Actions. Is there hope? There's hope. Listen to these four verses. There's hope. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Verily, verily, I say, or verily, verily, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When you trust Christ as personal Savior, you are no longer under condemnation. It's a wonderful thing. I'm telling you. It makes the difference. It's real when you see people get saved and their lives are different from the day going after that. It makes a difference. Reasons to disbelieve? Well, there's none really biblical. Man-centered, yes. Alternative teachings? Well, uh, universalism. Uh, everybody's going to be saved. It doesn't really fly. Also, annihilationism doesn't really fly in the face of Scripture. So the actions. If you're here without Christ, I would encourage you, please receive Him. The Bible says there is a literal eternal hell. Just because people are not talked about it, because pastors won't preach on it, does not mean it has gone away. It means we have bowed to the cultural mindset. that We just don't want to hear that, and perhaps if we don't think about it or preach on it, it's not real, but it is. I read this also uh, in preparing for the message regarding our lack, my lack, our lack of Christians of sharing and telling the truth about this loss, the loss going to hell. Rather than serving as vigilant lifeguards who clearly and convincingly scream shark, we believers seem to prefer the role of sun as though invaders on vacation. Death comes only once in a lifetime, and there is no rewind. There's no rewind. This morning, if you do not know Christ as Savior, I would implore you, receive Him today. Admit. Believe, if you really believe, admit you're a sinner, confess, call, and receive him today. Let's pray together, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, minds, our lives. Lord, you know my heart, a very difficult message to speak, preach, but yet one we should not shy away from, because it is the truth. That's why we exist as a church, as a life-saving station to share the truth of the gospel. Lord, you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, your desire is that people would dwell with you in peace and righteousness, but Lord, you won't force them and you cannot abide sin. 
So Lord, if there be even one, two, three, several people this morning under the sound of my voice that have never truly trusted you as their Savior, Savior from what? Savior from sin. Lord, your Bible, your Bible says, Lord, clearly, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray, Lord, that you work in our hearts and lives. If there is a need, may we not hesitate. May we respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.